Welcome back, Freedom Pact. I am delighted to welcome you all to today's episode. Who is it with, Lewis? We've got Julian Treasure on the show today. This is a man that I have been wanting to get on the show ever since I saw the TED Talk, How to Speak, so that people will listen. Julian is a sound and communication expert. He has travelled all over the world. He used to be a drummer, so you can see where his early love of sound comes from. He says that his mission is to train people to listen better, to speak more effectively. He talks about this idea of conscious listening, conscious speaking, and conscious living. You may also know Julian from the books How to Be Heard and Sound Business. Yeah, one of the best things about this podcast is it is full to the brim with practical tips and practical advice on how you guys can actively work on monitoring and changing your speech to become better speakers and also better listeners, Joe. So this episode is essentially broken down into two parts. We spent the first half talking about listening. So if you feel as if you are an expert listener, then please just skip to the second half. But if you're not, like pretty much all of us, then this, in the first half, you're going to learn all about how to, say, filter out the noise, how your body language should be, you know, what exercises we can do to become better listeners. And then the second half is just an absolute masterpiece. Practical frameworks. This includes things like what not to drink before you start your public speaking, before you give your speech. And then Julian takes the time to delve into frameworks. We had hail. We had the seven deadly sins of conversation. It was just an absolute masterpiece from Julian. And also, I highly recommend staying tuned for, towards the end, we asked Julian to give us some warm-up vocal exercises. And, you know, I don't want to say too much about it, but uh, stay tuned for that. And if you guys are wondering what Julian's credentials are and why he should be the voice on this subject, he's a man who knows how to speak so that people listen. His TED Talks have been listened to more than 80 million times. And his biggest one of all, how to speak so that people want to listen, is rated in the top 10 TED Talks of all time. If that's not enough, Julian is regularly featured in mainstream publications, Time, The Times, The Economist, the BBC. Julian also founded the Sound Agency, you know, and they ask the question, how does your brand sound? So Julian has looked at some of the biggest brands in the world and helped them to improve their sound. So guys, I know you are going to get so much out of this. And Joe, Julian has actually set up uh, a little gift for our listeners at the Freedom Pack, hasn't he? Yes, he has. It was so kind of Julian to do this. So essentially, guys, if you want to get a free guide from Julian, which includes videos, it includes uh, just some, some tips from Julian, which we just didn't have time to cover in the podcast, then head over to juliantreasure.com forward slash Freedom Pact. That is Julian, J-U-L-I-A-N, Treasure, T-R-E-A-S-U-R-E 
Treasure.com forward slash Freedom Pact. That is JulianTreasure.com forward slash Freedom Pact. You will get so much good stuff off that page. It's completely free. So without any further ado, Lewis. Julian Treasure, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Such a pleasure. Your TED Talks, they have an insane amount of views. I don't think I've ever seen such, you know, incredible views. Your book is fantastic. What is the problem that you were trying to solve? Uh, Lack of listening, I suppose, is the easiest way to put it. We've had a, a focus on written communication for quite a long time now. And I think the skills, and they are skills, the skills of speaking and of listening have got rather left behind. We've only been writing, actually, for 4,000 years, and we've been speaking for something like 60 to 100,000 years using complex language. So speaking is a lot older, and I would argue a lot more powerful um, and uh, and richer. Uh, Obviously, there are great benefits to writing. I mean, you can publish it. Some of the greatest changes in the world have resulted from books being published and disseminated, pamphlets and so forth. And it's asynchronous. You know, I can email you uh, my time and you could get it tomorrow, your time, and nobody's upset by a call in the middle of the night. Nevertheless, would you rather read the play or see a play acted by a great actor? You know, there's a, there's a power in the voice. And at the same time, we've lost contact with listening to the world around us because it's, you know, frankly, quite noisy. Uh, A lot of other reasons that we can probably go into a little bit later on. So we're, we're in a world where people don't listen very well and people don't speak very well. And that is a problem. And we're seeing that exemplified around the world in all sorts of unpleasant ways, you know, polarization, um, the, the kind of politics of, of hate, um, and indeed hate itself, you know, conscious listening always creates understanding. And in my view, that is badly needed in the world at the moment. What you've just said, but it reminds me of a quote that Andrew Carnegie said, and I think he passed it on to Napoleon Hill. And the quote was, the most successful people listen more than they speak. Is that something you agree with? Yes, I'm not sure I'd be quite as prescriptive as that although there's a great quote i use in all my talks um which is um i like to listen most people never listen i've learned a great deal by listening carefully that's from hemingway um and i totally agree with him so i think listening is very very important i mean there's the old adage come comes way back thousands of years ago from the ancient greeks you know we have two ears and one mouth and they should be used in proportion. But that's not what happens, generally speaking. We have a predisposition to sending, and it's quite interesting if you look at the views on my two TED Talks on communication. The one on speaking has been seen by at least five times as many people as the one on listening. So there's still this this bias towards, you know, we want to be able to speak, we want to be broadcasting out there in the world, not so keen to listen to what's coming back. In terms of this sort of speaking bias, which you've just alluded to, do you think that that is illustrative of the culture? Do you think that it's perhaps a maybe a concentration problem? What do you think the issue is in regards to that? Well, there are an awful lot of 
factors which mitigate against listening carefully. Um, I mean, first of all, if you look at organisations, they're terrible at listening. I mean, there's a, there was a piece of research done some years ago called the Organisational Listening Product uh, Project, which found that at least 80% of organisation effort, focus, resources, money, went into sending, not listening. If you say communication to a company, they're immediately thinking about advertising and PR, and they might think about social media, but they're not thinking about inbound. It's all outbound. And that's unfortunately very largely true within the organization as well. So people are much more focused on sending, sending, sending rather than receiving. Uh, there's not many organizations which are teaching listening skills. Um, there is a, a great resource, which I'm, I'm proud to be a member of. And indeed, I won a small award from the other year, which is a fantastic organization called the International Listening Association. And I do really recommend anybody who's in an organization or runs an organization who's listening to this podcast, check it out because it can help. So organizations, we're not used to listening at work. And then when we go home, we're surrounded by noise a great deal of the time. You've got technology, which really gets in the way of listening an awful lot. The obsession we have with checking in, you know, the always on lifestyle email, for goodness sake, and how much inbound stuff can we all deal with? It's very distracting. We're used to kind of doing more than one thing at a time, so we're impatient. We've always got other things that we can be looking at now. There's going to be TV or music or other media around. And all of these things really are obstructions to listening. I think the American author Scott Peck said, you cannot truly listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time. And I think there's probably billions of people on this planet who've never had that experience of somebody giving them 100% of their attention as opposed to, yeah, I am listening. No, no, you're sending a text. That's not actually listening to somebody. It's doing two things at once. We have this um, tremendous habit in the modern world of partial or faux listening, doing a bit of listening, listening a bit to people. And um, that, I think, is a, is a serious problem in communication what you just said, but it, it really, I really do recognize that because studies, which I've read recently, they say that the average person in the Western world is subject to around 5,000 ads per day. On top of that, I mean, I, I read a study saying that the average human's concentration span since 2000 has dropped by about 11 seconds. And, and I think that when you put those two together, and as you said there, you know, we create a society with so much noise and, you know, so much sort of inbound traffic that it does create a mess, really. And and I fall completely agree with what you say that with this idea of conscious listening, which I think is a brilliant concept. And is that something which you think that as a society we should edge towards in terms of aiming to whoever it is, to, to listen with full intent? Well, yes, yeah, so you, you can't consciously listen. You can't dedicate yourself to listening all the time. Obviously, there are many other things to do in the day. Uh, my suggestion is that we become conscious so that we know when we're not listening and when we are listening. We know when it's time to listen and we can make that time. Um, at the moment, a lot of people are in this kind of semi-conscious state about sound where they think they're listening, but they're not really. Listening is a skill. 
it really is a skill and it's just like you know surfing or riding a bike it's something you can practice and you can become better and better at it if you practice a lot and i would suggest that becoming better at listening is very powerful if you want to create outcomes in the world that really are powerful i mean if you want to be happy if you want to be effective if you want to be healthy listening is a very very good path to all of those things and it's a skill it's it's completely different from hearing you see i mean there's a lot of confusion about that as well you hear everything if you've got undamaged hearing uh, you, you you hear in a sphere all around you it's your primary warning sense it's very sensitive so you're hearing all the time everything that's going on around you but just as with all of your perception you can't possibly pay attention to everything so listening has got two elements first of all you select some things to pay attention to so there's a process of selection and secondly you make those things mean something. So that's why my definition of listening is making meaning from sound. That's a completely different thing from hearing. It's a mental process, and it's one over which you have some control. A lot of the meanings we make from sound are a result of the filters that we've got in place on our listening. And those filters are different from one human being to another. And they include things like the culture you're born into, the language you speak, the values, attitudes, beliefs that you accrete along the way from parents, teachers, friends, role models, whoever. You know, you, you select some, you discard others. And then you may have intentions or expectations in any given situation. You might have emotions going on. All of these things change our listening. And what that means is that every human being's listening is as unique as their fingerprints, their voice print or their irises. That means you cannot assume everyone listens like I do because they really don't. And that's probably the biggest mistake people make in communication is that assumption, speaking the same way to everyone, just assuming everybody listens like I do or well, they don't. And, and asking yourself the question, and this is a big part of my book, is the the circular relationship between listening and speaking. If you want to speak effectively, you need to learn how to listen and you also need to understand you're speaking into a listening. We all speak into a listening. So I'm doing that right now with you two guys and I'm speaking into a listening. And if you ask yourself that question, you become better and better at intuiting, at feeling what the listening is. I won't give you any more tools or techniques than that. It doesn't require them, really. There may be pheromones. It might be microfacial expressions, tiny sounds. It could be body language. If, if it's one-to-one or if you're on a stage in front of a thousand, it doesn't matter. Ask, what's the listening I'm speaking into? And that is the way you're going to hit the bullseye instead of missing the target altogether. It's really interesting you talked about body language, but is there sort of an optimal body language which you would represent? I know we're really getting into the micro by you, but is there one which maybe communicates more interest? So I'll give I'll I'll, I'll give you an example. Sorry if I'm not being clear here. I'll, because if I'm talking to someone, it really sort of throws me off if they're not directly facing me if that if like i was sort of say our shoulder blades don't line up is is there you know an optimal body language which we as listeners could adopt to to be better listeners definitely body language is very important if you're sort of 
heading for the door as you're listening to somebody, it can really upset them. And we all know the the problem of somebody who's looking at something else while we're speaking and, you know, you go on and then eventually you say, are you listening to me? (laughs) Because the typical dance of the eyes, at least in typical Western communication, is that the speaker will glance around and check back in from time to time to see if the listener is still listening. The listener typically, much more typically, will not have any broken eye contact at all. They'll just look at the speaker, simply look at the speaker. If you're looking away from the speaker, it does it does tend to indicate lack of interest or disengagement. And if you then extend that to your whole body and you start pointing your body away from the speaker, that definitely communicates disengagement. People who are very good at body language would notice little things like even a foot pointing to the door means let me out of here, but it's being suppressed, you know. So you can get very subtle about these things. Leaning forward tends to indicate interest in somebody's uh, conversation, lolling back, supporting the head, drooping, uh, you know, that kind of body language tends to indicate, again, disengagement. So, yes, Body language is very important, and in the um, the tip I gave in my TED Talk about uh, listening, RASA is uh, the acronym, and the R of RASA, the first R means, or the, the R of RASA means receive, which is exactly that. It's eye contact, not doing anything else at the same time, body language appropriate, facing the person, giving them 100% of your attention, The A is appreciate, which kind of carries on that process, which is little noises like, "Mm, oh, really? Uh Or little body language affirmations. It might be nodding, raising the eyebrows, smiling, um, you know, gesturing along with the person. Those kind of reflective body language um, movements really help to build rapport. Um, The S of Rasa is summarize. That's using the word so, which is a really important word in conversation When you're listening to somebody, if you're able to say, so what I understand is this, is that right? And they go, yep. Then you've closed the door in the long corridor of this conversation. You've locked down something and you can move on. If you don't have a so person in a meeting, it can be a very, very long meeting. You know, what is it they say? Meetings are places where we uh, take minutes and waste hours. And that's what happens if there's no so person. You go round and round and round and round on the same issues instead of somebody saying, so we've all agreed that, now we can move on to this. And finally, the A of Rasa is ask. That's asking questions. Ideally, uh, open questions that start why, what, which, how, who, when, where. Uh, Those kind of questions, not the closed questions where you can just get a yes or no. And questions that really indicate interest. Uh, Great questions are clean questions where you're not steering but you're genuinely interested and asking um without any particular agenda or direction so there's a great deal in listening listening is a is a powerful skill and if you're somebody who leads or wants to inspire or somebody who wants to have great relationships listening is a crucial skill i mean what's the most common complaint in relationships he or she never listens to me uh, it is so common these days. I love what you said there about about it being a skill. And what it brings me on to is something I really wanted to speak to you about, which was actual listening practices to say, hone that skill. Uh, and it brought me on to something I was reading in preparation for this. And it was that the brain develops filters for sound so it doesn't become 
overwhelmed by stimuli such as you know in busy crowds and you picking up on certain uh voices rather than you know the general buzz and i think the practice was immersing yourself in silence could i just go to elaborate a bit on that and how you carry out immersing yourself in silence as a practice and how it can actually benefit our listening in general i think silence is a very important sound and i think it is a sound it's also the baseline for all sound and it's what makes meaning out of sound after all i mean if there were no gaps between the words we would be unintelligible if there were no gaps in music it would just be a complete cacophony so you can't have the mountains without the valleys it's it's very important part of life and unfortunately it's one which many people have lost contact with in particularly in urban living where there's constant noise and i know a lot of people who are actually disturbed by silence to the point where they, you know they go into a quiet room and they have to turn something on in order to have some noise in there so noise is a bit addictive it's a bit numbing and you tend to get used to it and then almost need it uh, noise being you know unwanted sound really and all background sound um so sound itself can become a bit addictive and i think it's really important to reconnect with the baseline if you can now let's be practical not everybody can get silence certainly not everybody can get to a beautiful natural spot where there's complete silence or just a few natural sounds what my friend bernie kraus would call uh, geophony the sound of the planet or biophony the sound of animals as distinct from anthropophony which is the sound of us which is not always the best sound so if you can't get absolute silence going to a quiet room is fine um, you may be able to get very quiet in your house or you may not you may have a motorway outside or or a, a you know an airport nearby do your best uh, but give yourself a few minutes whenever you can to recalibrate and refresh uh, give your ears a rest so that you can come back and start listening afresh it's what recording engineers have to do every 40 minutes or so they have to stop and just have a moment to go and let their ears rest otherwise they go deaf to the sound that they're they're supposed to be manufacturing so i would suggest uh, i in an ideal world waking up and having a bit of silence and by the way if you've got a loud alarm clock please don't do that to yourself that's not good um you know something like gentle bird song is a great way to wake up and much more natural and then give yourself a little bit of peace before you get into the day and then if you can somewhere in the middle of the day you know if you, even if you have to go to a, a bathroom somewhere or a, even a closet <laughs> you know get yourself somewhere where you can have just two or three minutes to recalibrate and and again at the end of the day that would be my suggestion i think silence is a wonderful thing to get reacquainted with pure practical advice and if we stay on the line of practicality for a minute in terms of listening another thing i wanted to talk to you about was this idea of adjusting your listening positions and the example i was reading about was say listening to a piece of music and and focusing specifically on one instrument and that was a technique i was trying out today uh, to see if i could cope with i just wanted to know how is that beneficial then in turn to our everyday listening well that's kind of a combination of a couple of the exercises i recommend and um very powerful one to do i think listening to music in that way is uh, extremely interesting i'm a drummer so i do tend to naturally i listen to the drums first but i force myself a lot of the time to go somewhere else 
because it's boring if you're listening to the same thing all the time. There are two exercises here. One is something I call the mixer, and it's a really good exercise that you can run not just when you're listening to music, uh, but also when you're in a cafe or in a park or anywhere. And it is paying attention to the mix of sound around you and imagining you're a recording engineer, one of those big mixing desks with lots of channels. Each sound has its own channel and you start to distinguish those sounds. So what are the individual components of this mix I'm listening to? And start to move your attention between them. It's a very, very good way of becoming much more acute in your appreciation of the sound around you, which helps because you can start to take responsibility for moving away from unpleasant or unhealthy sound and for maximising healthy sound around you when you start to think get um, relationships with sounds that you find really pleasing or soothing or exciting or in any other way positive you can take more of them in your life the other um, exercise which you're talking about is listening positions um, which i also call listening from now you can listen from lots of different places uh, you can listen from for example a critical place where you're judging and evaluating, uh, which is what probably many of the people listening to this right now are doing. Oh, I didn't know that. Where did he get that from? That's quite interesting. Well, I don't agree with that. You know, the, all of that stuff going on in the little voice in our head, the one that just said, what little voice is he talking about for everybody listening to this? That's your kind of critic and editor, and that's a very powerful place to listen from most of the time. It's useful to us, helps us to discern and judge and evaluate and and critique what's happening. Not always, though, not always. One of the seven deadly sins of speaking that I talked about in my TED Talk on speaking is being judgmental, condemnatory. And if you get hung up in the critical listening position and you just live there the whole time, you're not a nice person to be around, actually, eventually. I mean, I'm talking about the kind of parent whose child comes back and says, I got 95% in the test, and the parent says... What happened to the other five? You know, that kind of level of critical listening. Sometimes you want to move to, let's say, empathic listening, where you go onto the other person's island, feel their feelings, and leave them not just feeling heard, but also understood and valued, which are the three things we want generally in relationship. Um, there are as many different listening positions as, as you care to imagine, uh, many, many places to listen from. The important thing to realize is that because we've got these filters which have been built up like, it's almost like a shell that's been built up over years and years and years of life and yours, listening to this, are different from mine because you've come a different road to this moment, to the road I've come and you have different filters uh, it may be language, it may be culture, society, family, it may be all sorts of different things that have formed your filters. You're choosing to pay attention to different things and you're making them mean different things to me or to the person next to you. So with these listening filters, if we can become conscious of them, it's possible for us to start to fashion our reality and improve it. You can pay attention to more useful things, and you can make them mean more useful things to you. So as many listening positions as you want to fashion, 
the important thing, as I say, is to get out from the bunker that you've created over decades, which you probably haven't been aware of, of one default listing position that you've been in for a long time. It's like being in a bunker with a little slit in front and looking at the world through the slit. Um, perhaps it's transformative to realize actually there's a door in the back of the bunker. You can walk out and walk around and move to completely different perspectives and, and listening positions. That is a wonderful exercise. Something that I think is definitely true. And for, for the people that listen to this, if they are wondering, you know, why, why should this impact me? When I read the book and I, uh, and obviously we, we watched the TED Talks and we researched it, it, it made me think of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People because one of the main takeaways that I took from that book was about that you can win more friends by being interested than being interested in. And, and I think that if people take the the point away about listening conscience, consciously by doing these listening exercises which you have about uncovering that bunker which you just talked about but they not only will will you know it help them in careers it'll help them in anything it'll definitely help them socially it'll help them for, for from so many different aspects do you think that 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 social benefit is a a major factor which people are maybe even crying out for yes in a word yes uh it's interesting i travel the world doing keynote speeches to big organizations i'm off in a couple of weeks to speak to sixteen thousand people in florida which is quite a daunting audience and uh, what I always find when I'm talking, you know, it's largely at a business level, you know, it's listening to be more productive and listening to be, um, you know, more effective and so forth. However, these things translate so directly into the home, into your relationships when you go back home. And I've had people come up to me, uh, you know, I, I did a two day workshop in a hospital in America a while back and a, one of the senior doctors came up to me on the morning of the second day with tears in his eyes and he said I have never listened to my life to, to my wife how I listened to her last night and she was in tears because it has transformed the entire way that we're relating to each other so becoming conscious in your listening is absolutely a transformative thing it's the foundation of relationships actually one of the one of the central messages, if not the central message of my book, is the circular relationship between speaking and listening. So, you know, even if your motivation is that you want to speak more powerfully, you want to be heard, you're frustrated that people don't listen to you, that you can't get your message across, the best way is to start with the listening. Because the way I speak affects the way you listen, and the way you listen affects the way I speak. And more than that, the way I speak affects the way you speak, and the way you listen affects the way I listen. So there's a complex circular relationship going on all the time. And if you want people to listen to you, yes, the best way to do that is to listen to them more effectively and more powerfully. It, it, it creates this virtuous circle instead of the vicious circle of pain nobody paying attention which we see played out in you know the world's politics 
politicians go off for talks, and I really think they ought to go off and have listens instead. I think we'd be in a much better place. <laughs> I think I think that's definitely true. It's sort of two people, you know, conversing, and it's just essentially a you know a, a monologue going back and forth, <laughs> a, a, a tennis monologue. I think that this is a fantastic place to take it now from listening to speaking. You talked a little earlier about one of your seven deadly sins, judging. Could you take our listeners through your seven deadly sins, which I think is just fantastic? Of course. And these kind of apply to all of communication. So there's a listening aspect to all of them as well. And I am not saying never, never do these things. You know, you're bad and wrong if you do them ever. Uh, What I am saying is if you do any of these things a lot, if they become kind of default or habitual, then it makes you harder to listen to and it will reduce your effectiveness in speaking. And, you know, your communication has these profound effects, as I said at the beginning, on your happiness, your effectiveness and your well-being. H-E-W, those three things are the outputs and they are three quite important things. So seven sins of, of speaking. First, gossip. By gossip, I mean speaking ill of somebody who's not present so it's not gossip if you're speaking well of somebody who's not present and it's not gossip if you're having a go at somebody who's in front of you it is gossip however if you're having a go at somebody who's not there to a third party it's triangulation and gossip it tends to be incorrect embroidered exaggerated even completely made up and um and untrue we all know that about gossip it's prevalent in modern society it's pretty difficult to encounter any media now, um, be it newspapers or websites or radio or TV or whatever you're engaged with, any news media, which isn't obsessed with gossip, you know, celebrity hunting and uh, prurient obsession with the details of other people's lives and generally not in a good way, not admiring them, but wanting to catch them out or find them wanting Um, because behind this a lot of the time is wanting to be right and the easiest way for me to be right is to make other people wrong hence our sort of addiction to outrage in our relationship with the media which the media then satisfies with more and more sort of prurient and outraged stories somebody must be to blame so gossip um is i think not particularly useful and if you do it a lot or you engage in it a lot i I suggest you try taking a holiday. It's very difficult to do, but it is possible. Try it as an exercise just for a day. You may find that you have to walk away from your friends from time to time. You could share it with them, maybe enroll with them, uh, enroll them in the idea of having a gossip-free Monday or something like that and see how it goes. Uh, the, The important thing is to become conscious of it. Second deadly sin is condemning or judging, and I've already talked about that. It's, you know, the the finger-wagging, finding fault with everything and everybody. It's pretty hard to be around somebody who talks like that the whole time, Um, and it's a very harsh way to be in the world. Next door to that, negativity. And the story I told in the TED Talk is absolutely true. Uh, My mother, towards the end of her life, became enormously negative, unfortunately. Her worldview really was everything is awful. And that was the filter through which... She listened to everything. That was her listening position, which is hard. You know, I don't know if people listening to this have had the experience of being around somebody who's eternally negative. Oh, look, the sun's out. It'll be raining later. 
You know, it's just, oh, come on, can you, can you give me something positive? And you have to go away and recharge your batteries and come back to it. Um, and I, the experience that I recalled in that TED Talk was I took a newspaper into my mother and said, oh, look, it's October the 1st. And she said, I know, isn't it awful? Well, you know, if October the 1st is awful, what hope is there really for anything? <laughs> so... That kind of negativity is very wearing to be around. And, you, you know, if that's you, you'll find people leave. They want to go and find something positive. They need soul food somewhere. Complaining, next door to negativity, British national pastime, of course. Um, now, I'm not talking about complaining if you can affect something, if they give you bad food in a restaurant. Complain. Good grief, yes. But I am talking about the kind of complaining which is useless. Complaining about stuff you can't alter or affect the weather, politics, you know, when you get a chance once every four years or in the UK a bit more often than that probably now. Um, it, these kind of things, it's not particularly productive to be ranting about them to somebody. It's just viral misery spreading your negativity to somebody else um, about things you can't change. So that's, again, a habit uh, which can be avoided. I'm not saying it's always bad, but if you do it a lot, you'll find people don't really want to listen to you very much. Excuses, number five. Um, now, we've all done this. It wasn't my fault. This happened, this happened, this happened. Even if we're making it up, this happened, this happened, this happened. You know, children, I didn't do it. I just saw you do it. I didn't do it. I saw you do it. <laughs> you know, um, we're, it, it's kind of human nature to, to deny up to a point, but it's not the best way to operate, actually. Generally, the way to learn is to make mistakes and to own them. And if they've done damage, apologize and then put something in place that makes sure that never happens again. Like you've learned, you won't repeat that behavior or there's a system or something you've put in, in place to correct that thing. And then you've learned something and you move on and you've apologized and make amends to whoever you've damaged. That's much more productive than it wasn't me. It wasn't me doesn't learn anything. It wasn't me gives you no growth and uh, unfortunately that is uh, a habit with a lot of people who are uh, much much more prone to blame someone else a friend of mine used to call them blame throwers you know um it's their fault it's never my fault it's something else not me and therefore i don't have to change uh, change is growth growth is change and if you never change you're not going to move very far number six exaggeration embroidery again this is something which is endemic in modern society i think i react very strongly against what i call language inflation you know now, now it's not any longer enough to be excited is it you have to be super excited and doubtless in a few years that won't be enough and you'll have to be super super excited so this kind of inflation has removed words from the language uh, you know, there are lots of words now that all just mean good, fantastic, amazing, terrific. Now, they actually had different meanings once upon a time, but they've all been kind of put into a swamp of good. And of course, the classic example is awesome for our American friends. You know, if a pizza or a pair of trainers are awesome, what's a sunset? The word's gone. How do we describe something that truly does inspire awe in us? Finally, Sin number seven, dogmatism. And that's my way or the highway, table thumping, 
confusing opinions with facts. They're different. And I have a wonderful fantasy of a world where we all ask permission before giving opinions. Very unlikely ever to happen. Would you like my opinion on that? No. Oh, I had such a good opinion all ready to go as well. But we don't do that, do we? We just proffer our opinions without being asked. And where it gets a bit messy is when we confuse our opinions with reality. Uh, that's very often the case um, underlying big arguments. And um, so those are your seven deadly sins. Gossip, condemning, negativity, complaining, excuses, exaggeration, and dogmatism. And avoiding those as habits will clean up your communication enormously. I love the, the idea of the seven deadly sins. As something you said about everything being awesome reminded me of something I saw the other day. I think I saw on Twitter and, and someone had said, you know, if one of the lads coming back from the shop with a packet of crisps from everyone is a legend, then what does that make Nelson Mandela? Exactly. <laughs> uh, so moving on from the... Continuing language inflation, yeah. Exactly. So if we do the opposite then and we move from the, the sins of conversation to actually improving your conversation style, uh, could you talk us through HAIL and what that stands for and if you could go in and elaborate on each point if that's possible? Definitely. Well, HAIL is what I call the four cornerstones of powerful speaking. And it's so a word which means to greet or acclaim enthusiastically, which is quite handy, as well as the stuff that comes down from the sky. Um, and in this context, it's an acronym. I love acronyms because I have a terrible memory, so I use them a lot. The H of HAIL stands for honesty. So these are four cornerstones. If you stand on these four things, you will be communicating much more powerfully. Honesty, by which I mean being clear and being straight with people. Now, that's a challenge in the modern world. It's very tempting to use jargon or big words or, um, you know, particular patois or street language or whatever it may be. You have to think, I'm speaking into a listening. What's the vocabulary that this person will best understand? How can I get the ball over the net to them? So clear means that. Uh, and straight, of course, means not dishonest, dissembling, oblique, um, obfuscated, shady, you know, not not hinting and talking around things. It means being clear and straight in your language. So having, you know, clear requests. If you want something, making a request. A request, by the way, uh, is always a question that's happy with all three outcomes, which are yes, I agree to your request. No, I don't agree to your request. And the middle one, which is I'll let you know tomorrow. Well, you know, you need a definite time on the defer. But so it's yes, no and defer. If it's not, if you're not comfortable with all three of those outcomes, it's not a request. It's a demand, which is a completely different thing and uh, much more liable to cause confrontation in relationship. So clean questions, clean requests, being clear and straight in what you say. That's the H of honesty. The A of Hale is authenticity. And what I mean by authenticity is simply being yourself. Now, I've seen speakers, even on the TED stage, actually, I mean, in fact, it became a bit of a problem for TED for a little while, um, people being overcoached and kind of doing a performance. Um, I have a huge amount of regard for uh, Toastmasters as an organisation. Um, 
and uh, but I do think there's an element of that in what they do as well as coaching in in exactly how to deliver so it's the same every time now I think it's very important if you're going to deliver powerfully and build lasting relationships that you do it authentically as yourself not pretending to be somebody else not putting an act on not doing moves that have been designed um there was a time at ted where it became almost de rigueur to cry in order to make the ted talk you know interesting and i remember there was one guy who came on uh, years ago i was at ted and he was a banker i think he was talking about economics or something and then he said my father who died and i thought oh no here we go <laughs> and yes you know the tears came out and i just thought this is completely inappropriate to talk about economics i mean for goodness sake um but it was you know people thought at the time that was powerful or uh, connecting or something well it can be but not always not if it's artifice um when i asked for my book i asked chris anderson uh, the head of ted which is more important content or delivery and he said content anytime uh, you can forgive somebody who's got an amazing idea for not delivering and you can coach people to deliver well you know give it a couple of months and you could have them deliver that content powerfully but if you get somebody who's a brilliant speaker and they're talking rubbish or inconsequential nonsense that's just frustrating and annoying because they could be doing something with their their skills that's so much more powerful and interesting um so whilst both things are very important authenticity is is the key be yourself don't try and be somebody else the i of hail is integrity which means being your word being your word that is to say if you say it it happens if you make a promise you keep it now that's a very important thing in relationships and i'm a great fan of agreements in relationships you know overt agreements very important to keep a note of them otherwise you end up with dozens of mentally agreed mentally remembered agreements uh, which you forget and you can't keep an agreement if you if you forget it so if you have a little place to keep your agreements and you've made these agreements i mean not at a trivial level obviously but you know on significant things it might be about dividing the housework up which is a constant source of conflict for many people and a lot of very successful relationships have that agreement i do these things you do those things okay that's good now we know what we are um so agreements can be very very powerful in helping you to stay in integrity and the l of hail love which may surprise people i'm not talking about romantic love here obviously i'm talking about well wishing and there's a fantastic exercise uh, that i can recommend to everybody listening to this on this one um and i can tell you it's it's important because when you're speaking to somebody it's not about you if you're on stage in front of a thousand people it's not about you it's about them and if you're well wishing if you're actually wishing them well that will come across and you'll have a far better result whether it's one person or a thousand the exercise that i can strongly recommend is to start wishing people well in your head you don't do it out loud otherwise uh, people will think you're a little strange but as you walk around instead of thinking you idiot get out of my way or you're more on what kind of driving do you call that and this kind of stuff that goes on in our heads is critical monologue that we have a lot of the time get into the practice of thinking i wish you well or 
bless you or whatever you, form of words you want to use. It's not a religious thing. It simply is sending your well wishes out to people. So, you know, bless you, person who just got in my way. And I can tell you that if you practice this over and over again, it's like walking on air. You suddenly feel lighter, taller, happier, more connected with the world. You meet people's gaze, whereas before perhaps you wouldn't because you were thinking some you know, very critical thought about them. And smiles might break out and so forth. The world changes a great deal if you actually adopt a practice of wishing people well and you become a more powerful communicator because you're trying to give them some sort of a gift in your speaking, whether you're on stage or in a conversation. I wish you well. I would like you to have this gift of what I'm saying to you. That's a really, really powerful example. So hail, so honesty, authenticity, integrity, and love, which is, I think, is is just a, a brilliant, brilliant toolkit for for our listeners. Let's go to uh, something which you talk about a lot in the book and something I think would be hugely impactful for our audience is say sort of in the realms of uh, say more along the lines of vocal warm-ups but something I'd really like to get into is before someone gives a talk what advice would you give you know in terms of the hyper practicality what not to do because I took from reading your book not to drink milk before I start recording, which I thought was very, I thought was you know a brilliant tip, and I stopped doing that. Are there any other tips along that sort of in that sort of sphere which you would give? Well, I think the first element there's a whole chapter in my book called the Vocal Toolbox, which I covered in brief in that TED talk as well. I think it's important to get acquainted acquainted with all your tools so that you can use them well. So if we just assume for a moment that people have been through stance, posture, breath, register, pace, pitch, prosody or prosody, timbre, volume, uh, silence, how to deploy those things effectively. Um, Absolutely, if you have a talk to give or a show like this to present or you're going to have an important conversation at work, it's worth making sure that you're going to deliver it in the best possible way. So thinking about your content, and there's lots in the book about designing great content, um, where I would say the most important question, as we've already covered, is what's the listening I'll be speaking into? Then, yes, preparing. I mean, there's, there's, it's um, practice, prepare, deliver, PPD, uh, for any kind of big talk. Uh, the practice is practicing the art of speaking. If you're going to talk in public, then it makes sense to practice talking in public. And I would recommend go to Toastmasters and check them out. They, they have very good programs. They'll give you coaching and you get the experience of standing up in front of people and delivering talks over and over again. It is like riding a bike. You know, as I said, I'm, I'm doing 16,000 people in two weeks' time. I will not be frightened at that. I'll be excited. But I've been on so many stages now to so many different audiences, and including thousands of people, that it doesn't freak me out at all. I, I, I have no fear about it. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to the experience. And it is just practice. So practice is very important. And by the way, if you can't do Toastmasters, then you can practice at home. I would recommend recording yourself. And even more than that, videoing 
yourself you know put a a camera or an iphone or anything on a on a tripod or rest it somewhere so that you can see yourself and then deliver a talk and when you watch it back you'll be going oh my goodness i never knew i did that thing which is slightly irritating now i see it you know uh you can start to feedback and be your own coach if you can get a coach that's even better you know the great sports people of the world all have a coach and the reason for that is that you cannot see your own game you're inside of it you need somebody outside who can just be saying well tweak this thing now we're going to work on that thing and that really helps so you can get a vocal coach a drama coach an acting coach a singing coach uh, a stage coach any not the one you sit in any any of those kind of coaches would help (laughs) to polish you and give you the tools you need in order to be a very effective public speaker Uh, so that's practice prepare when you know you're doing that talk in that place find out about the place make sure it's got all the facilities you want it's a huge mistake to wander into somewhere five minutes before you're due to go on stage and find out oh they don't have a projector and i've got slides or oh they don't have a sound system and i'm using sound or whatever it might be so just make sure that you go through you have a clear idea of what you need you check with the venue or the organizers that they've got what you need and you know the time you know what you're doing before you know what side of the stage you're coming on from and also what side of the stage you're going off it's incredible how many people forget that one and they finish everybody's clapping and then they start looking around uh, looking a little bit lost not knowing quite what they should do at that point so preparing all of that stuff is really important and i would if possible get to the venue well in advance and do a run through and all of that kind of stuff if it's a, if it's remotely a big affair um then also get to know the av crew if it's a big affair with av i always go to the back and say hello to them and treat them with great respect because they will make or break your, your presentation then we're talking about delivery so it's the day you're sitting there and they announce your name and there's a round of applause and you've got to go on and do it. Well, you've practiced public speaking, so you know how to do it. You've prepared the talk, rehearsed until you bleed, please. Rehearse, 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 rehearse so that you know how long it is, you know exactly what's going on and there's no danger of you losing your way. You can let go of that fear. As you walk on, you do four very important things. They spell the word BESS. B-E-S-S. First of all, breathe. Take a huge deep breath as you're walking onto the stage. It's a great antidote to nerves. You know, if your voice gets a little bit trembly when you're going on stage, it's a great antidote to that. And it's also the fuel for your voice. You need breath in order to speak. So that's the first thing. The second, as you stand in your spot on the stage is to expand your awareness try to take in the whole room all at once i am not a great proponent of talking to one person at a time i think it's quite intimidating for the person you're talking to you tend to look at the same person over and over again they start feeling victimized i much prefer expanded awareness being in contact with the whole room so you can see everybody all the time yes you look around but you're looking around always at the whole room The third thing, the S, is stance. So that's having a nice, comfortable stance. If you like, you could visualize roots going from your feet into the stage and your whole body hanging from a string in the top of your head. 
which gives you a lovely relaxed stance, shoulders down, everything relaxed, everything stacked vertically above everything else. And that is where you speak from. And the, <clears throat> the final S, smile, smile. It means I'm glad to be here. I'm connecting with you. It makes you look friendly and nice. And the audience will very often smile back, which is a great start. So, Beth. And just a couple of things not to do if you're doing a talk on stage. If you're using slides, please try to avoid lots of bullet points because they're very boring and the audience read through them faster than you can speak through them. Uh, and please, please, please don't turn around and start reading off the screen. That is just rude. The audience is then seeing your back, not you, and you've lost your connection with the audience. So uh, those are some of the important tips I've learned over the years of doing lots and lots and lots of these things. Thank you so much for that. That was that was just exceptional. All your content today is, is you know, it's, it's been it's been amazing. And um, something Lewis and I were wondering. We sat down together and we really studied your TED talk and at the end of the talk when you give the vocal exercise we we said to each other that we were a bit upset that we couldn't be there to to go through it because it looked really fun and we're just wondering could you take us through a little bit of the exercise because we we'd love to do it <laughs> of course well i think uh, the one the one of the exercises in the TED Talk that I always do, even if I have virtually no time for whatever reason uh, or I can't get all of them done, is the one that's called The Siren, which is uh, out of the act acting profession. And it's a fantastic exercise for uh, improving the timbre of your voice. It also drops your voice down a good tone in most cases. Uh, and we vote for politicians with deeper voices, you know, deep voices uh, more powerful um, that's that's the, the kind of received wisdom uh, simply because big things tend to have deeper voices small things have higher voices and big things tend to be more significant there's more danger from a big thing so we pay more attention to deep sounds that's that's the reason for all of that so the siren is a simple exercise but it's a very powerful one you want somewhere quiet to do it um, although I can do it quietly when, for example, I'm sitting in the front row and there's warm-up music going on, I'll be doing the siren to myself. Um, so keep your vocal cords hydrated, sip room temperature water is a very good thing to do. Not too much alcohol the night before, not too much coffee on the morning of the talk. Nice lubricated vocal cords and we're going to go we or And the we, you go as high as you can possibly go. And the or, you go as low as you can possibly go. So it's a little bit like a sine wave if you visualize one of those. So, guys, if you'd like to, with me, we'll start with...
Julian, thank you so much for that. I think I might even clip that part of the podcast and use it to promote it. <laughs> um, so as we're winding down now, we just wanted to ask uh, three three final questions that we ask all um, of our guests. And the first one is, are there any books that you have read in your life that have greatly impacted you up until this point? Yes, I would uh, offer... Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Travelled, which I think is a fantastic book, and also um, Eckhart Tolle's books, A New Earth and The Power of Now. I really enjoyed all three of those books. They changed the way I thought about perceiving the world, really. Um, In terms of uh, sound, there are a whole bunch of wonderful books that I could recommend and, you know, be happy to make some suggestions. Please, Um, yeah, please, please. uh, Murray... Murray Schaefer's wonderful book, the, the Tuning of the World, the Soundscape, is he invented the word soundscape, and he, he's the inspiration for a lot of the work we do at the Sound Agency in improving the way that big spaces, offices, retail malls, and so forth, sound uh, for happiness, effectiveness, and well-being. Um, so that's, that particularly is a, an extremely good one. Um, so, yeah, there are some, a few recommendations. Are there any societal rules that in your life you have loved to have broken? Ties. I cannot stand ties. (laughs) I hate the social convention of them. I really don't go to places where I have to wear a tie anymore uh, because I just won't do it. And even when I had to do it, I wouldn't do it. I've been thrown out of more places (laughs) than I care to imagine for not having a tie on. So, yeah, glad to see the back of them personally. (laughs) Julian, if you could... Um, distill all the lessons you've learned throughout the experiences you're in your life down into one short but impactful message that you would share with the world what would your message be well it's just one word and you can guess what it is listen that's how i start all my talks now and it's what we need to do in the world if we start to listen consciously we will achieve understanding and we can reverse a lot of the really awful things that have been happening in the last few years so listen that's absolutely amazing julian we can't thank you enough for your time this has been one of my favorite podcasts we've done to date the practicality you've brought has been you know second to none and we really appreciate it so thank you so much for coming on the show that's my pleasure and we've taken the liberty of putting a little um page up on my website for anybody listening to this if you guys are interested it's got some free video bits and pieces from me about how to listen more effectively so that's juliantreasure.com forward slash freedom pact and uh, you'll find nice bits of content on there yeah we will certainly link that below um can't thank you enough for that is there anywhere that our listeners could find you on social media or any of any of of your work that we could link them to? Yes, well, I mean, the website, as I say, is just juliantreasure.com and there's lots of content on there and lots of stuff on there. And then um, also I'm very excited. <clears throat> I'm very excited to be launching a new course in the next month or so, which is uh, called How to Speak So That People Want to Listen. So um, check it, check on our website for details about that as they come out in the next couple of weeks it's just finishing at the moment i'm putting the finishing touches to it and it's hours and hours of material um then there's the book of course which um i'm very pleased with and it was lovely to win a couple of awards for best audio book um in the last few months so the book's done really well and it's got lovely reviews so i i think it's working 
to get the message across. So any of those ways, delighted to connect and, and lovely to see people who are keen on starting on the road to listening and speaking in power. Love it. All of that will be linked in the show notes below for our audience to check out if they wish to do so. So they can all find you there. That's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Julian, just want to say again, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you from me, Lewis. Thank you, Julian. It was an absolute pleasure. It was a brilliant episode. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for the opportunity, guys. A great pleasure to meet you and um, on with the show. Good work.